Tonight we are beginning an occasional series. We're calling a primer. Maybe you've heard of these authors and you think, I've, I've heard of them, I've never read their works, should I? Um, so we're going to try and answer some of those questions for you about particular authors every few weeks here on Nightlife. We're going to take a deep dive into the work of, you know, some of those big names of literature and I guess you can figure out should you read their work or not? Well, we are going to start with the playwright, author, wit and all-round star of the Victorian world, Oscar Wilde, who uh, allegedly uttered his last words on his deathbed in room 16 of the Hotel d'Alsace in Paris on November the 30th, 1900. Uh, my wallpaper and I are fighting a duel to the death. One or the other of us must go... I know I've heard that one before. I've also heard it as curtains. So wallpaper, all curtains. Uh, obviously, whichever it was, was kind of offensive. Anyway, he was indeed soon gone from the literary stage. Oscar Wilde, dead at the age of 46. Was he just another wit with a wicked turn of phrase? Or, you know, what did he really have to offer when it came to his work, his plays, what he contributed? And what more could he have contributed had he lived into the new century? Literary historian, author and lecturer Susanna Fullerton thinks that despite his untimely death, he was a true genius and one of the most influential writers of his time and beyond. And Susanna has joined us on Nightlife tonight. Hi, Susanna. Welcome. Hi, lovely to be here. So uh, tell us about what Ireland was like when he was born in 1854. What kind of world was he born into? Well, he was born into a very privileged world. There were, I think, two very different Irelands at that time. If you were poor and you were Catholic, it was a very different experience to what Oscar had. He was born into a wealthy family. Uh, his father was a, an eminent surgeon and, uh, and doctor. And so Oscar was given every opportunity. He went to one of the best schools of the day, Portora Royal, where of course, he was taught the classics, as all boys were. Then it was off to Trinity College in Dublin. Uh, there were private tutors when they were needed. His mother's drawing room was filled with the uh, society and intelligentsia of the day. So he learned the art of good conversation very early uh, from the people that his parents had coming to visit. And I think a lot of that would end up going into his plays. So, yes, his, his childhood, his, his background was a very privileged one indeed. So so, Susanna, when was his sort of talent for words and his wit first discovered? Was he one of those precocious, you know, six or seven-year-olds? Not really. We don't have Oscar Wilde juvenilia showing <laughs> how brilliant he was as a, as a young boy. I think really it was after he left Ireland and he went off to uh, Magdalen College at Oxford University and there he felt that he needed to be noticed. And so he, while still not writing at that time, uh, he would say things that were a bit outrageous and that got him noticed. Uh, one little example was that blue and white China was coming in from the Far East and he, he commented one day, I find it harder and harder every day to live up to my blue and white china. Well, sermons were preached against this in Oxford chapels. And people said, what is the youth of today coming to when a young man <laughs> feels he needs to live up to a piece of china? So I think while he was at Oxford, he was learning the power of words, but he was not yet writing them down. And that would take still some years. After Oxford, he went off to London. Uh, he worked as a, a sort of art critic critic. 
Uh, he wanted people really to be listening to him rather than looking at the paintings on the walls. But uh, he was really, you know, finding his way. And his first play that he wrote, one called Vera or the Nihilists, is not a good play. Uh, he was still learning his craft. So mm. it would take him a while uh, to become a writer. But, of course, once he found the uh, the ways that he knew he could write well, uh, then his career took off. Mm. Um, now, when did he meet... Uh Bosey, who of course was someone who became very important in his life. Well, he met Bosey when he was in middle age. Bosey was a young man. Uh, he went back to Oxford to, to visit his old university. Uh, he was introduced to Bosey, who was, of course, Lord Alfred Douglas. Uh, I think Wilde was a little bit of a snob, and he liked the fact that Bosey had a title. But mostly he liked the fact that Bosey was an incredibly beautiful young man, mm. and he fell madly in love with Bosey, which in the end, of course, was what brought about his downfall. But Bosey Bosey was quite a talented writer. He was a poet and, uh, uh, you know, books have been written about Bosey and his, his writing, which was quite highly regarded in his day. So the two men would have discussed literature together. And, uh, of course, Oscar encouraged Bosey in his writing. But Bosey was incredibly selfish. He really only ever thought of Bosey. Uh, he was demanding. He was uh, full of temper tantrums. He was difficult. And while the two men were lovers for a while... Uh, after a while, it stopped being a, a, a sexual, a physical affair, uh, and the, somehow Bosey's hold on Oscar Wilde was mm. never lessened. Both would go off and find other sexual partners, but uh, the the intense attachment that Oscar Wilde had for Bosey was never lessened. And of course, one of his last great works was his wonderful letter written to Bosey from prison, De Profundis, mm. or From the Depths. Bosey destroyed his copy, but fortunately Oscar kept uh, another copy. And so we have that wonderful letter where he tries to examine himself and explain what happened to Bosey uh, and, you know, really to, to look at, at his own downfall. And it's a very, mm. very moving letter indeed. Mm. And we, we might come back to some of the, the specifics of, of that very, very sad, um, sad ending to the life of, of Oscar Wilde. Um, literary historian, author and lecturer Susanna Fullerton is uh, here with you on this Friday night on Nightlife. You're basically getting a lesson in Oscar Wilde, the man, but we also want to talk about his work as well. And I guess if you've never engaged in it, if you've never been to see a play written by Wilde, if you haven't perhaps read his one book, which we'll talk about, did you know he even wrote children's poetry? Look, should you? Is it something that you should, um, you know, spend some time investing in if you never have? How famous did Wilde end up being, Susanna, in his own time? Well, it was really the plays that made him particularly mm. famous. And for some years before his downfall, he was incredibly famous. Uh, on one occasion, uh, the Prince of Wales, the future King Edward VII, said, I do not know Mr. Wilde, and I feel that not to know Mr. Wilde is not to be known. So <laughs> when your future sovereign feels you've got to know you, uh, he's, he's got to know you, it really is an indication of how famous Oscar Wilde had become. His plays were 
on at the London theatres. He was fated. He was praised everywhere. Uh, the money was rolling in. He was spending it almost as fast on meals at the Ritz and other lovely things like that. Uh, so, yes, he was extremely famous. And then, of course, when the trial began, it was very, very well reported. Uh, crowds would turn out to the uh, the courthouse and, and be there out on the street as Wilde entered and left at the end of each day. Uh, so the publicity was absolutely enormous. So he really went from being a glittering star of, of the London theatrical world mm-hmm. to being somebody whose name was absolute mud. And... Uh, Of course, when he published his last great poem, The Ballad of Reading Jail, it was not published under the name of Oscar Wilde, as all his other works had been. It was published under his prison number, C33. Uh, Everyone knew who'd written it, but still the words by Oscar Wilde were not there when the poem was published. Mm. So which was his first successful play? What was was the breakthrough for him? Well, it took him a little while to get going. As I mentioned, he uh, he wrote uh, uh, Vera and or the Nihilists, which was set in in Russia. Uh, And he tried desperately to get that produced and and nothing really happened. Uh, He wrote Salome um, and he had problems with the censors because it dealt with a biblical subject. Uh, So Salome was actually banned uh, by the Lord Chamberlain in the year 1892. But that same year saw the production of Lady Windermere's Fan. And that really was his first great theatrical success. Uh, At the end of the first night he came out on stage smoking a cigarette and wearing a green carnation which was something of a uh, a symbol that uh, he was he was gay mm-hmm. uh, and he gave a speech thanking the audience for their intelligent appreciation of his play now this raised lots of eyebrows authors didn't usually come on stage smoking cigarettes and thanking the audience for being so intelligent as to enjoy the play so again it got him got him talked about and Oscar once commented that the only thing worse than being talked about was not being talked about. So, of course, he loved all of that. He was a bit of an attention seeker, was he not? Absolutely. Now, of course, he had also by that time published a novel. Uh, The picture of Dorian Gray had been published a couple of years before. There are very definitely homosexual uh, subplots and and themes to that novel. So it was a book that was talked about. It was not a, a huge bestseller, but it certainly got his name noticed. So really, throughout uh, the 1890s, with the start of, of the play, the great plays, Le- and Lady Windermere's fan getting it all up and running, uh, his reputation just climbed so rapidly from that moment. Mm. And he very rapidly followed it up with other plays such as A Woman of No Importance, An Ideal Husband, uh, and then, of course, his masterpiece, The Importance of Being Earnest. So, I mean, I think what I'd like to do, Susanna, is sort of delve into some of them a little bit to talk talk about what makes well the ones that were good so good. I mean, the importance of being earnest, why is that still a play that you can put on and that resonates with people? Well, for a start, it's wonderfully funny. It's got so many great quotable lines, and we've all heard many of them. Uh, so it's, it's a very funny play, and audiences love to laugh when they go mm. to the theatre. But I think it's deeper than that. It's a play about identity. Who are these actual people? And what is the surface appearance that we put on, and who are we below the surface? And I think that is still resonating very much with audiences today. So people are still fascinated by the importance of being earnest and uh, and we just love the comedy and every time it's acted people laugh and people love it
Mm. He did like to make fun of society too, didn't he? He loved to make fun of society. Although he did once comment that the only people who made fun of society were those who could not get into society. (laughs) But yes, he he had a wonderful sense of humour. And I think he he shows up people's pretensions. He, uh, he, He shows how many people live with secrets. And he, of course, was living with a very big secret of his own as he was writing these plays. He was leading a a dangerous double life. So a lot of his plays deal with hidden identities, people who who are hiding secrets, Ideal husbands who are perhaps not quite so ideal. Uh, what What is actually going on behind the very glittering surface of the plays? Uh, and Oscar was fascinated by the whole idea of identity. That too comes into some of his really great fairy stories, although there's no fairies in the fairy stories, <laughs> but uh, the, the, the really wonderful stories like uh, uh, The Birthday of the Infanta about a little dwarf or The Happy Prince about the statue that becomes ugly by the end of the story because all of the jewels have been given away to help the poor. So Oscar, I think, was always very aware of those who did not quite fit in. As a gay man himself, he knew that he was not what society then termed the norm, that there was something different about him. And I think he had a a very deep sympathy for those who are different in some way, who who don't quite fit in. Uh, His story, The Birthday of the Infanta, is about a little dwarf who's brought to the palace of the Spanish Infanta to amuse her at her birthday party. And the little dwarf has grown up in a forest and he doesn't know that he's different from other people. And I think one of the most moving moments in all of literature is the moment in that story where he catches sight of himself in a mirror And at first he thinks there's some dreadful monster at the end of the room. And then he notices that the creature in the mirror is doing the same things that he's doing. It's uh, picking up a flower. It's bowing low. Uh, And then this terrible, terrible moment when he realises that this unattractive figure that he's seeing in the mirror is actually himself. And it is just heartbreaking to read. It is such a magnificent piece of writing. And I think it shows Oscar Wilde's real sympathy for those who did not quite fit the norm of Victorian England. Are those still in publication? Absolutely. It's right. ve- in fact, you can find them very easily on the web. So, Are in children story- still reading them today? Well, I hope so. They should be. Uh, I think The Happy Prince has perhaps been the most famous and has lasted well, and it's mm. been turned into film versions. And uh, it's you know they're all still in print. And they are truly magnificent pieces of prose. So uh, those sh- he's, he's one of the great short story writers of the English language. Mm. It sounds from what you're saying, Susanna, though, you mentioned him coming on the stage and he's got the green carnation and obviously he's got some homosexual themes going on in some of his books that while he knows he's meant to be hiding, he's also trying not to hide as as well. That must have been a bizarre line to be walking. It was a very strange line. And, of course, he was a married man with two children. Mm. Uh, I think his poor wife, Constance, had a very tough time of it. It certainly wasn't easy for her. Uh, he once described this time in his life of, of leading this gay uh, sub-life, if you like, uh, as being like feasting with panthers. Now, a panther is a great big dangerous cat. You sit down to eat with it and the panther could eat you. Oscar knew that what he was doing was extremely dangerous, that he was laying himself open to blackmail and, of course, also eventually to arrest. And it was thanks to the 
the trial with uh, all to do with Bosey's father, the Marquis of Queensbury, uh, that he was, of course, arrested and sentenced to two years hard labour, which broke him. It broke his, his health. It broke his writing career. All he wrote after that were, were the letter de profundis and mm. the great poem, The Ballad of Reading Jail. And before he died, he had all these plans to write more things, but I think he was such a broken man that he just could not sit down to, to get on with the writing. So uh, he knew that what he was doing was dangerous. And I think in some ways it was a sort of spur to his genius Mm. that he could put into his writings all these things in a a coded way. Um, He could allude to things. He couldn't make them obvious on the the English stage or, or in his novel. But they're certainly there. And perhaps it gave him some relief to get it out in in you know, some form uh, in literature, we can't be certain. But there's no doubt he knew that what he was doing was dangerous and he did have to cope with male gay friends who were dealing with blackmailers. Uh, so he, he was very aware that he could get himself into serious trouble. Mm. Um Suzanne, I think maybe while we're talking about this, let's just you know remind everybody of, of how he did end up in jail because it was it was a matter of him, I think, very stupidly perhaps um, deciding to sue someone for defamation, effectively who'd who'd called him a homosexual. What happened was that uh, his his friend Bosey had a, a father, the Marquis of Queensbury, who was actually the originator of the Queensbury rules for boxing, and he was a very pugnacious, difficult individual. He felt that his son needed protecting from Oscar Wilde. The truth of the matter was, I think, that Oscar needed protecting from Bosey. So the Marquis of Queensbury turned up one day and delivered something at Oscar Wilde's club. It was a little, his, one of his cards, so it had his name on it, and he wrote on the bottom, to Oscar Wilde posing as Sondermite. He meant Sodomite, but spelling was never his strong point, so he famously misspelled that on the card. Now, had this card been delivered privately to Oscar, he could have thrown it away in the rubbish bin and ignored it. But it was delivered to him in the foyer of his club, and he felt that this was a very public insult. He wanted to ignore it, but Bosey was at his side saying, take my old man to prison, and to, uh, to court, sue him. Uh, he can't get away with saying things like this. And so with Bosey egging him on, he sued the Marquis of Queensbury for libel. Now, the Marquis had lots of money. He was able to send detectives out to find chambermaids at hotels and people who could provide the sort of evidence. And there's no doubt there was evidence mm. of uh, Oscar Wilde engaging. In Wouldn't physical... Wilde have known that? He must have known it. And and I think he was just deluded and he was goaded by Bosey and he couldn't say no to Bosey. So the trial started. Oscar began by defending himself quite brilliantly. The transcripts exist, so we know exactly what was said. He was then caught out lying about his age. Now, in The Importance of Being Earnest, we uh, we hear Gwendolyn saying, a woman should never be too accurate about her age. It looks so calculating. And Oscar had whipped a few years off his age. Now, the prosecuting lawyer was actually an old schoolfellow of his, and he knew exactly how old Oscar was, and he pointed out that Oscar was lying. And then there was a moment where he was asked once if he had kissed a young man, and he made some comment about, oh, he was far too ugly. And that, too, got him into trouble. And from there, with all the evidence piling up against him, it was downhill 
all the way. So he lost his trial for libel and he knew that he had enough time to flee the country and get the boat to France. So his good friend Robert Ross and and Bosey were all saying, you know, come on, Oscar, hurry up, get get the train that will take you to the boat. You can escape and you can go to France. And he dithered around in the Cadogan Hotel in London, um, John Betjeman once wrote a rather wonderful poem about the arrest of Oscar Wilde at the Cadogan Hotel. And two policemen arrived from Bow Street and they arrested him. So then there was, of course, another trial. And in this case, it was not for libel. It was for homosexual behaviour. And again, the evidence piled up and Oscar Wilde was sentenced to two years hard labour, which he served in three different prisons, one of them, of course, being Reading Jail, the subject of the great poem. Mm. Most of the time he was deprived of books, apart from the Bible, uh, of visitors, uh, of pen and paper. Uh, And this man who who had once described himself as a lord of language was now reduced to silence and, of course, terribly harsh conditions. He had to go on the treadmill, a a completely useless punishment device where you just walked round and round and round on steps. He fell off that and he greatly damaged his ear. It's actually thought that the infection that set in from that uh, injury was what finally killed him. And uh, when eventually he got out of prison, his name was Dirt. He knew there was no place for him in England and he left for France and the last sad years of his life were spent drifting around in Europe, short of money, full of plans to write things but never Mm. able to actually do it. And then, of course, he died in the Paris Hotel. Mm. So he stopped writing, like, during that period he couldn't, he didn't write? He really, apart from the Ballad of Reading Jail, Mm. uh, that really is, and letters, of course, and he was a brilliant letter writer, absolutely fabulous, and most of his letters have been published. But no, the, the... creative spark, I think, had Mm. left him and his health was poor. There was no money. uh, And really, those last years of his life were very tragic ones indeed. Mm. Uh, Susanna Fullerton is here. Uh, She's a a lecturer, um, a literary historian and uh, and an author. And we're we're talking about Oscar Wilde. Uh, Basically, I think, uh, trying to figure out whether, well, you probably know plenty about him, but should you be reading his works if you never have? So a picture of Dorian Gray. This was his only novel um, seen as a, a classic. Is that worth reading today? Yes, it is. It's a funny novel. Um, it is, of course, I don't think it's as great a work as the plays. Mm. Uh, it has perhaps dated a little bit. Very much a novel of the fin de siècle, the, the 1890s. Uh, but it is definitely worth reading and it has always been in print. So uh, it's it's fascinating to see Wilde as a novelist. Uh, for me, the, the greatest of his works are the plays and the fairy stories. I think they're magnificent. Uh, but he was also a wonderful poet. And it's not only The Ballad of Reading Jail, but many other poems as well. Uh, there's a beautiful poem called Requiescat, written about his young sister Isola who had died when she was still a child Uh, and he talks about visiting the grave of his sister. It's a very moving poem. So he's a wonderful wonderful poet, brilliant letter writer and he also of course wrote a lot of essays. Uh, There's a rather intriguing essay called The Portrait of Mr. W.H. where he tries to work out 
who was the WH to whom Shakespeare dedicated his sonnets? And he comes up with a theory, being wild, uh, that it's a, a handsome young man. Uh, and he argues that in very interesting ways. But lots of different essays like uh, Pen, Pencil and Poison. Uh, so he was a fine essayist mm. as well. And I think what's so interesting about Wilde is that he was so good in so many different forms of literature. Mm. And such a great wit too. I mean, many of us know an Oscar Wilde quote, even if we haven't actually ever engaged with his work. Absolutely. He he has more quotes in the dictionary of quotations <laughs> than most other authors do. What's your favourite? Uh, I love his one, we are all in the gutter, but some of us are looking at the stars. Uh, the the final one, of course, about the uh, the wallpaper. Uh, I don't think the curtains are See, that there've been many often, interpretations. But the of wallpaper, that one, one yes. or the other of us has got to go. <laughs> uh, and uh, even when he was dying, that sense of humour was there. And he turned mm-hmm. to his friend Robert Ross, and he said to him, "I am dying as I have lived beyond my means." <laughs> so even dying was something that Oscar could not afford. But there are so many wonderful. Uh, ones. Wasn't there an arriving in America? I have nothing to declare nothing except to declare my genius. Except my genius, and he also said that he would rather have discovered Lily Langtree than have discovered America, which of course also upset <laughs> the Americans. <laughs> so he was extraordinarily influential in the 20th century, in which he didn't actually live a lot of. Which other writers do you think owe a lot to Wilde? Well, he was part of the aesthetic movement, and of course uh, there were many interesting writers connected with that movement, some that came before Oscar Wilde, like Dante Gabriel Rossetti and William Morris. Uh, Another writer of of his era was Walter Pater, not much read today. Uh, Algernon Swinburne, again, not much read today. But his impact on the whole aesthetic movement and the idea that it's important for art to be beautiful. Uh, It doesn't always have to point a moral. You don't have to have a good moral lesson in a book or a play or a poem. So I think that was very important, that, that you know, you could regard something as just uh, sheer wonderful entertainment or something incredibly beautiful. And that aesthetic movement had an impact on artists, so the pre-Raphaelite artists and many of the artists who, who followed in their footsteps. Uh, so his influence there was very big. Susanna, is Oscar still being, Oscar Wilde still being taught in, in schools and at university? At universities, yes. I don't think he's being taught in schools, certainly not in Australia as Mm. far as I'm aware. Uh, I suspect in Ireland... Children might get a bit more Oscar Wilde uh, because they're now very proud of him, although, of course, you know, there were times when they were not quite so proud and his name was removed from the honour board at Trinity College Mm. in Dublin. But, yes, I think we need more Oscar Wilde in schools, in universities and also, of course, in the theatres. So I hope that people listening to this programme will feel inspired to go off and get some more Oscar Wilde. Reading plays is a bit challenging. It's better to go and see them in the theatre but you can find his poems very easily online. Uh, I suspect you can easily find the picture of Dorian Gray online. It's now out of copyright. Uh, And those wonderful, wonderful fairy stories are all easy to find online. So do please, everyone listening out there, go away and read some wonderful Oscar Wilde. (laughs) Susanna, thanks so much for, uh, for coming in and talking to us on Nightlife about him tonight. Thanks, Suzanne. Uh, Susanna Fullerton, literary historian, author and lecturer. 
You've been listening to a Nightlife podcast. For more great conversations about the issues that impact you, as well as features on travel and food, head to the Nightlife webpage. You'll find it at abc.net.au slash nightlife. You don't need to be a night owl to enjoy the nightlife.